So hi everyone and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman London where we look at how technology is impacting the way we communicate, our relationships with brands and each other and ultimately society. My name is Simon Madry in the tech team and I was really lucky, well actually I bullied her into sitting down with me while she was in the office um, recently, Lauren Valbert who is a director and head of health and technology from the Amsterdam office just to share a little bit about the, uh, the market in the Netherlands what it sets them apart and particularly how she is working uh, within the convergence of health and technology. We're going to cover everything from uh, the local media scene to silicon canals which apparently are a thing, a little bit more exciting than our silicon roundabouts Um, and then also um, specifically about the opportunities for health technology and um, how to spot the opportunity there. So we really hope that you enjoy listening to this episode of Sideload. So Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day of meetings. I know you're here for um, a very short time. Happy and to. So um, can you just start by telling us what your role is uh, in the Netherlands? Sure. And so Amsterdam, the Amsterdam office is uh, structured slightly differently to other offices, even within Europe. Um, We have one team that kind of works all together, uh, especially the juniors tend to work on many different kinds of accounts. Uh, And then we have specialization areas rather than whole teams that are divided. And uh, so my specialization areas are health and tech. And I work with teams that have experience in those areas because, as you as you know, they have some particular needs in terms of specializations. So I work with a very, very strong team of health and tech experts, uh, and we are focused on health tech and also health tech. And um, all of those things are experiencing quite a lift in the Netherlands right now. And so it's an exciting time to be uh, doing that. Absolutely. And we're going to get on to, you know, what that means for the Netherlands specifically. But for the eagle-eared, um, you are not Dutch not. yourself. That's correct. Uh, yes. Originally from the States? Originally from the States. I actually have lived in uh, Amsterdam for an, almost 19 years now. Mm-hmm. And I like to pretend that I am Dutch. Uh, the Dutch don't go along with that. But uh, I can speak Dutch uh, completely fluently. It is something I, I love living there. I love uh, the culture. I love living in Amsterdam. It's a wonderful city. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it is a wonderful place, particularly to be an American, um, because uh, the Dutch appreciate the American attitude <laughs> um, while continuing to have a very good quality of life, which is something that's very important. So uh, I, I, I get all the good and very little of the bad. So you would have a very unique perspective, I guess, um, coming from... Uh, the States into the Netherlands. How is the comms industry, in your mind, um, different to other markets? Mm. And how has it evolved, particularly over the last few years? And how what sets apart the Dutch comms scene from from other markets? It is a very small market at the end of the day. And there aren't a whole lot of, even before the, uh, what do you call it, the media apocalypse (laughs) um, Mm. of the last 10 years, um, there weren't a lot of publications uh, so everybody knows everybody else. Um, it it is a very it's a just a it's a very small market. Um, so I think in some ways that has forced the Dutch to be 
creative, maybe before other markets had to be. Um, the U.S. and the U.K., I think you, you have more, there's just more activity going on. You can do more with media relations. And I think in the Netherlands, they had to um, look at alternative solutions earlier. Mm. Um, many publications in the Netherlands have gone to uh, models where you cannot get articles placed unless you have, are a paid advertiser, period. This is especially true in the tech industry, actually. And so this is an extremely difficult message to bring to global clients, to clients who are based elsewhere, because that seems completely journalistically unethical. One could argue the point. Um, but the point is that is the reality that, that if publications do not get paid advertisements, they don't survive. So the tech media landscape specifically, but many industries, this is true of many industries, uh, has shrunk and it has focused and it has obviously, like every other market, uh, moved uh, to digital platforms. Um, but it is it's extremely challenging to get earned media, pure play earned media. And uh, so the so our office in our office we have extremely skilled media relations people who are able to negotiate those relationships. Obviously, we do have good relationships with publications so that we can leverage them to get earned media, but it's just not a simple matter. So, for a company looking to uh, engage audiences in the Netherlands, earned media may not be the right. right way to go or if it is the right way to go it might be extremely challenging yeah so therefore what are the types of activities that you recommend or that you guys roll out or very skilled and adept at you know what, what does that what does that look like and i know it's you know not a one-size-fits-all and it's kind of asking no but there are some very gen there's some general rules which um which are very very true and i think they're true of a lot of european markets i don't mm -hmm. think this is unique to the netherlands but um a, some companies try to place news in the Netherlands without any Netherlands angle. It's just not going to work. So the best way to do it is to have a case study, a relevant customer, some kind of angle that connects it to the Netherlands. There has especially been a trend lately in uh, the Netherlands where there's a big backlash going on right now from the perception of American companies, particularly American companies, coming in, making a lot of money from Dutch people, from Dutch businesses, and then taking it back to the US with no benefit to the Dutch economy. And so if you lack that Dutch angle of like, here's why it's benefiting Dutch business, you could end up with a quite negative article, let alone, you know, any positive message. So it is really, really important to think about why would this be important to Dutch people? It seems obvious, but many people don't think about it that way. They think, oh, this is just a great product. People will care. It just doesn't work that way. And um, I think the other thing is really setting the, the, the expectations with clients, particularly that one article in a key publication is qualitatively better than a lot of articles. Um, if you can get exclusivity with one of their main business publications, you've done a fantastic job. 
And I think that is quality, not quantity, is something that's very, very important because, again, as I mentioned, very few publications. And are there any other aspects of um, communications within the Netherlands that are unique to the culture of the country? And the, what, the, the, the thinking behind this question is, you know, in Germany, um, LinkedIn is not such a big platform. They have their own um, professional services or their own professional social media platform. I right. believe Zing is, is what it's called. Um, anything like that, or if not, then no. <laughs> um, it's actually, I think, Benelux and the Nordics have in common um, a high um, fluency in English and a an openness to the West, to Anglo-American um, business and learning from Anglo-American success. So uh, LinkedIn is a very successful platform in the Netherlands. There is no issue with that. So I think the main reason why you see Okay, this is my theory. This is my opinion. Um, that you see separate platforms in Germany and France is because of the re still relatively low level of, of English fluency. Um, this is not a problem in the Netherlands. They are very comfortable with reading things in English and also creating their own Dutch groups on LinkedIn. So you'll see plenty of Dutch groups on LinkedIn and using a mix of, of English and Dutch platforms for their news, for their groups, for their bonding with other people in their peer group. Um, so it's mu that's fortunate that there's much le less of a resistance to worldwide global social uh, platforms. Got it. So I want to move on to um, the market. So we've talked a lot about the communications, um, channels, outlets, social, and so on. The market itself, do you see a lot of tech businesses either um, setting up offices there, local headquarters, or are there many Dutch tech companies, which are success stories that you can think of that you know, people should know about? You know? So interestingly enough, um, I've been there for a long time. Um, and so I've seen, I've seen the waves, you know, they've, it's, it's gone in waves and the, the explosion of the tech industry in the Netherlands over the last seven, eight years cannot be understated. It is, it's just been a renaissance. Um, many people are saying, you know, Silicon canals, Amsterdam is the next Silicon Valley. I think a lot of cities are claiming to be the next Silicon, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Right. Um, we have a roundabout. Yeah, there you go. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, who knows, but the interesting thing about the trend of Netherlands tech. So there is this, there, there was this huge gap between very, very small startups and huge players that were usually headquartered elsewhere that had, you know, offices in the Netherlands. And what you're seeing is very slowly that gap is being filled in. But it's interesting because the Dutch culture is such, the Dutch persona is such that they, they don't promote themselves as much as other cultures. So these are the biggest companies you've never heard of. One of the most clear examples of that is Adyen, which you may or may not have heard of. No. How do they we spell that for those playing at home? A-D-Y-E-N. Okay. It is more than a billion euro company. Wow. 
you have experienced Adya, and I can guarantee it, because they power payments on a an amazing number of sites. So if you catch it really quickly as you're clicking through your, your payment, you might see Powered by Adyen because they power so many uh, e-commerce sites and you've never heard of them. Right. So uh, they are, they're just growing like crazy. And they are, I think, one of only, ugh, I don't know, seven Dutch unicorns. I don't even know if that, that might be a high number. There's very few Dutch unicorns in there, one, and you've never heard of them. Uh, you've probably never heard of any of them. Um, it is amazing how little Dutch companies promote themselves, which is, of course, a great opportunity for the communications industry. But uh, many of them do not believe that they need to um, promote themselves. And that's an interesting cultural thing. So you see a lot of Dutch companies, especially focusing on the infrastructure, the building blocks of things and being started by engineers or researchers from universities and they get very very far without ever promoting like really going and doing classic marketing um so it'll be interesting to see the next trend because i think that the dutch companies are waking up to the need to do more you know international marketing especially but there, there are many examples of Dutch companies that have made it to quite large without having to do that. And so I think they kind of point to those examples and go, well, they did it like that. And so it'll be interesting to see what the next wave is. So we're just going to pause there for a moment. Uh, we've talked about the tech. Now we're going to talk about the health tech. Um, but just before we do, we're just going to take a listen to last episode on Sideload. I think where people have been using AI in particular in the like recent years is really been processing that data to enhance user experience. If I went to you and said, okay, you know, find me the nearest petrol station, for example, who's gonna pull out a map? You're not going to. You're gonna to talk to Google, you're gonna like go to go and search, or you're going to actually ask Siri. Uh, and all of these systems are powered by AI. But users and consumers don't actually realize that. They don't realize the amount of data that needs to be processed for those types of services to exist. Um, so the truth is that AI is all around us. Mm. It's just hidden. Hi, welcome back. So your background is obviously in tech. Right. So before we get to the health aspect, or maybe you know, let's just jump straight into the health aspect. You know, at what point did those two sectors converge for you, and and why? Yes. So before I joined Edelman, actually, I was working uh, on innovation, uh, innovation within ecosystems, and innovation within companies, and there is almost no industry that is begging for and is looking for innovation more than healthcare. Um, and I was working, I was doing um, innovation projects with Philips and their space is obviously, they're attempting to be on the cusp of the healthcare innovation, the next healthcare innovation wave. And so it really exposed me to the the fact that you have the, all the willingness in the world over here and no lack of money and no issues with that. And over here you have all of these amazing technological 
advances. So to the point where when we were working with, you know, ideas, the technology is not the barrier anymore. There is, I don't think anything that you could think of that we couldn't achieve with technology given enough willingness and money. But then there was something stopping it from actually connecting. And I started to think about what that was and why, um, why was this not happening? I can tell you the answer if you're curious. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. What was the, the problem is that innovation was happening over here with startups and innovation teams and at universities. And it was not connecting to the people who had the power to actually give them the data to be successful. So fundamentally, the red thread that runs through this whole issue is access to data. And I can give you a very concrete example. I was working with a startup um, that does um, electron microscopy, uh, which is, you know, taking pictures of... So... Somebody's dialing there. Somebody's got a call. Somebody no. got a question. No. Can I take your question? <laughs> no, I've never had listening questions before. They've they've hung up. I'm okay. going to take that off the yeah. off the line. But um, um, that's a first for side. That's hilarious. Uh, so um, electron microscopy, and they they you can put cells in there, and you see whether there's you know, for example, it's cancerous, right? They have the technology to be able to do this. The doctor can take a biopsy from you and literally do that right there, right then. The problem is they don't have the data to back it up, to prove what cancer is what, because they need the volume of data to tell them what cancers look like what. And in the laboratory, they have that research, but they don't have any way to connect it to the doctor's desktop. And the thing that is restricting them is I mean, okay, to boil it down to its most basic essence, fear and resistance to change. Um, we are scared to let the, the free flow of data be accessed. And, you know, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines in the last couple of weeks to know why we are afraid of people using the, our data without us knowing about it, because people very often use our data for the wrong reasons. But this is fundamentally where you're seeing the, the, the prevention of these connections of the willingness and the money and the, and the ideas and the ability to do this in technology. I really do believe that if we'd solved the data problem, we would already have universally accessible data you know, records so that when you went any, anywhere in the world, your doctor could pull up your data. The reason is fear. And so one of the things that I'm really, really focused on is um, how do you build ecosystems to get people to trust uh, the people who are handling your data mm. now and over time? I completely agree with you. I mean, that's where the power of digital health, at least in my mind, comes from. You know, it's very much about the data. Yes. Even though you might be wearing a, a fitness tracker, that's not... The health tech itself it's the data that's capturing it. it's how you use it absolutely it's the benefit that, that brings to the user and the healthcare professional and in in the ideal world that fitness tracker is connected to your doctor so that the doctor can look and say how are you when you're exercising how, what is happening to your body when you're under stress you know i am following you know this data and then when you go in for your checkup this is something he can look at historically and make pinpoint, you know, accurate 
diagnoses of your real state. So in building these ecosystems, who should lay the charge? Is it the companies? Is it the governments? This is the question that goes around and around. And, I, you know, unfortunately, I am not a diehard capitalist by any stretch of the imagination. Quite the opposite. But in this case, I think the only, um, the only thing that's driving this is profit motive. But um, it it needs to, to be balanced. It needs to. This is why you need an ecosystem and not only the the, the, the for profit companies can do can lead the charge, but it has to be accompanied with um, you know governmental or quasi governmental bodies that are regulating and restricting what they can and can't do with the data, and institutions because institutions are actually the ones that are on the cutting edge of determining what what data and what kinds of data should be taken. So you need, this is why you need, unfortunately, you need this ecosystem. And the thing is, once you get three more than three people in a room, it becomes chaos by definition. And so um, it becomes very, very difficult, particularly when you have players that are pulling on their own agenda. And so one of the things is, you know, how do you find a win for everybody in that room? I think communications has a huge role to play here because I think what our job fundamentally is, is finding the benefit for our audiences. And so therefore I think we as a communications industry can help make this happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we bring it back to the Netherlands yourself, I mean, um, digital health is something that we are looking to focus a little bit more on here in the UK arguably a larger market sector itself reaching maturity but i understand that you know you have some success in that area um, in the netherlands you know what are some of the areas of health tech that are more mature that you think or that you see um success with working with is it in diagnostics is it medical devices what's the so um the biggest pain point here is there's two that I that I've seen is um, the it's the remote medical need um, of for people who are not near the top facilities that is driving a lot of actually a lot of the um, blending of software and hardware solutions to put remote medical solutions together and then the other thing specifically in the Netherlands is the the country used to be very very um, it spent a lot on subsidies for elderly and disabled people and there has been with the austerity programs that have happened with the recession and everything these have been cut tremendously and this has opened a a huge opportunity for uh, tech companies to supply automation, some kind of automation solutions for these affected groups. And these are, again, societal pain points that are that are not being addressed or weren't being addressed because they didn't have to be. And now they have to be. So I'm seeing a huge amount of innovation in um, apps for dement- with people with dementia, people with disabled disabilities, people who need assistance in one way or the other. VR treatments for um, mental health issues are, is a huge area in the Netherlands that's really increasing. So I think 
where I see the opportunity is where the pain points are arising. And it's not in the traditional, I have health insurance, I can go and get the care that I need. It's the, it's the marginalized people. And that's where I think the Netherlands has an advantage because I'm not sure how to say this in a polite way. Um, the Dutch still care about their marginalized people. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm a, I am American, and I see I see the fact that in America the marginalized people are being cared for less and less, and I still see in the Netherlands in a, a, a desire to find solutions that the that the costs are increasing, and they they're grappling with how to deal with that. So instead of just saying, "Well, see ya," you know, too bad. They say, okay, what, how can we automate this? How can we use the research and the development and the innovation that's coming out of universities or, or companies to, um, yeah, make at least partial solutions, make hopefully future solutions that will really solve these problems. And so I think that that's, that's the special sauce. That's a special ecosystem that the Netherlands has. I think. It's also true to, uh, for Germany, for example, which I know uh, some some about. Um, yeah, so I do see the opportunity for health tech in all of its mer- various forms to be very, very strong in the Netherlands, particularly. Um, Lauren, that was all extremely interesting and helpful. So again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Really appreciate it. And um, for everyone who is listening, I um, hope you've enjoyed uh, Lauren's insights. If you would like to um, find out more about anything in particular, we'd love to know about it. We can maybe do some special episodes just for you. Uh, email sideload at edelman.com. Uh, and please remember to um, share, subscribe, and uh, just show the love. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>